Hey Thrive, uh, how are you? I hope you're uh, you're holding up okay with our uh, shelter-in-place ordinance that's in that's in place. I know it's uh, it's a little bit frustrating for for everyone, but it is for the best, and God is in control, and we're going to get through this. So my name is Matt Edwards, and I'm one of the pastors at Believers Fellowship here in uh, Gig Harbor. And uh, Michael asked me if I would share with you guys tonight, and um, I told him I'd love to do that. But obviously, because of uh, kind of the lifestyle ordinances in place, we're unable to meet face-to-face. But we're going to do this over video, and it's going to work. I'm confident that it's going to work. Uh, we, when I say we, I mean Thrive, we're in a, uh, a series on, on Second Peter. And we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 1 today, verses 12 through uh, 21. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 12. We're going to get there um, in a moment. Now today we're going to be talking about reasons that we can be confident in what we believe. Uh, and I think this is important for a couple of reasons. I think it's important for us personally because I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes I have doubts and I have to remind myself uh, that that my faith is grounded in real history, in real things that really happened. Uh, but also it's important because I'm sure many of you have friends, have family members who often question you about your faith. And you know, why do you, why do you believe that stuff? And you can get into conversations with people about reasons uh, to believe the gospel. And sometimes these conversations don't go well. Um, And I think one of the keys to um, helping conversations with uh, unbelievers about the gospel go well, one of of the keys is, is being confident in what you believe of um, not feeling anxious, uh, feeling like you have to prove things. Uh, because when you, when you are confident in your faith, you can be compassionate towards others and you can be kind. And I think when talking to uh, people who don't believe, compassion and kindness are, are two keys to that conversation going well. Now, when I was uh, when I was in my early twenties, I lived in Dallas, Texas, and I worked uh, as a as a waiter in a in a Mexican restaurant while I was was going to seminary. And w- while I was there, I had a, a friend named Fidel, and uh, he was one of my coworkers. We worked together a lot. We uh, did team waiting a lot, where we would we would work together and kind of split a restaurant section, and we would um, you know work it together and split the tips. Uh, And Fidel and I worked well together, but one of the key differences between us was that I was a Christian and he was not. And not only was he not a Christian, but he was very um, adamant in his atheism. He was a skeptic. Um, He he really disliked Christianity and he even ridiculed me because of my faith. And so he was always asking, like, oh, how can you believe all that silly stuff? And, you know, and I tried to explain to him, I'd say, well, you know, um, there's a, there's a lot of evidence in the Bible that, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And then he'd say, oh, no, I don't, I don't believe the Bible. You know, I'd say things like, well, you know, let's look at resur- you know, the resurrection. And he'd be like, well, I don't, I don't believe any of those stories either. And he's like, how, you know, how can you believe that stuff? I want you to prove it to me. 
I want you to prove it to me. Uh, and this task was very difficult. And I know if you've ever had to uh, have a similar conversation with somebody who, who doesn't believe the Bible, and they're like, how can you believe the things that you believe? Um, and you answer that with, well, the scriptures say, and they say, well, I don't, I don't believe the Bible. Let's not talk about that. Um, it, 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 it can be difficult. Now, that's not only a challenge for Christianity. It, it actually, history is very difficult to prove. How do you prove, without a shadow of a doubt, how do you prove that something historical happened? You see, history is a little bit different than things like science, right? If I wanted to argue with you that water was made up of hydrogen and oxygen, and I'm like, oh, you know, the chemical makeup of water is H2O, uh, you could say to me, prove it. And I could say, all right, and it, assuming I had the right laboratory equipment, which I obviously don't, um, I could take the elements and I could create uh, water in a laboratory and I could say, see, um, and, th and that's one of the things about science is science has a predictive um, element to it that you, when you follow the steps of scientific knowledge, you can recreate things uh, and, and prove things that things are, are true. Um, unfortunately, history doesn't work like that, right? Uh, a historical event happened in the past and by definition cannot be repeated, cannot be duplicated. And so historical events are very, very difficult to prove. Uh, one famous example of this is the moon landing, right? There's people out there, maybe you're one of them. Uh, if you are, I like you already. Uh, but there's people out there who don't believe that the moon landing and they have all these conspiracy theories about how the moon landing was faked. Uh, and if you find somebody who's like really, really into this and you try to argue with them, like, how can you not believe in the moon landing? Um, they, they, they can convince you <laughs> that uh, of all the reasons to believe that it was a fake. And, you know, like there's, there's um, all kinds of examples of that, of, of people out there who don't believe certain historical events actually happened. And if you've ever gotten into a debate with somebody about this, it becomes clear very quickly that historical things are very difficult to prove. Um, and so uh, in your small group time, I'm actually going to have you do a little bit of exercise where you're going to debate something uh, like the moon landing, and you're going to see for yourself just how difficult this this can be. Uh, but, but just because history can't be proven in the same way that, that science can be proven. It doesn't mean that we can't have knowledge about history. We can have knowledge about history. And in fact, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the message of Jesus Christ, we are on solid ground historically. And we can have confidence that what we believe about Jesus um, is historically true. It happened in real history. And we're gonna learn more about that today. Now, like I said, we're in uh, 2 Peter, and I, I think you've probably had one or two weeks in 2 Peter already. I'm not sure where you guys are in your sermon series. Uh, but if you don't know this, 2 Peter is, is kind of an apologetic letter. It's written, to, it's written by Peter to a community that was being bombarded with false teaching. And a little bit shaky trying to recreate what exactly these false teachers believed and didn't believe. But one thing for sure 
is they, they did not believe the apostolic teaching on the return of Jesus. And these false teachers are like, yeah, those things that you heard Peter say about Jesus coming back, yeah, none of that's true. Uh, and so what we see in, in 2 Peter is Peter writing to this church and saying, no, 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 no. The, the apostolic teaching is true. We have reasons to believe what we believe. And let me lay out for you what those reasons are. And that's what we're going to get here um, in, in chapter 1. Peter, he knows that his, his death, his execution is impending. And he knows that these false teachers are... Um, they're spreading their message and, and, and he's, you know, he wants to make sure that the record is set straight before he dies. And so that's what we get in second Peter. So we're going to start in verse 12. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to second Peter chapter one, verse 12. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter basically tells us in these first couple of verses that he's going to die soon. Um, last, the last time you met, you went over verses one through 11, I assume. And if you remember in that passage, Peter's like, here's, here's all the ways that you should be living as a, as a Christian. He's like, you should have this and add to that, this, and he's got this whole virtue list. And then in verse 12, he's like, you know, I know, I know that you're already doing these things, but I'm writing to you because, you know, Jesus revealed to me that I'm, I'm going to die soon. And I just want to make sure that when I'm gone, uh, that you that you remember how we're how we're supposed to live, and you remember what you were taught. So, question for you: If you knew that you were about to to die, and you had to pass on some truth to your friends and family of like this is what I've learned about what it looks like to follow Jesus, uh, what is it that you would pass on? Well, we're going to find out what Peter wanted to pass on here in verse 16. Let's look at verse 16. He says, For we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves, we, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, so we, we see a couple of things uh, in this passage that gives us a clue about what is going on. Uh, the first thing we see is in verse 16 when he says, we didn't follow clearly devised myths. So what we can tell from this verse is that whoever these opponents were that were discouraging the church that Peter's writing to, uh, they were telling them that, hey, you know, this message that Peter's been talking to you about, they're just myths. Um, that kind of was a, that was a, a common idea in the ancient world. Um, you may have learned about the Greek myths, the myths about the gods uh, when you were in school. Um, 
there was a a general idea in in the in the Greco-Roman world that these stories that they told each other about the gods um, they weren't really true stories. They were basically just stories that you told children um, to scare them uh, and make them behave. And so that is, uh, that's the accusation leveled against Peter. They're like, hey, he's just telling stories. This stuff's, none of this is actually really true. Uh, they're just myths. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. This is not a myth. This is something I saw with my very eyes. And he starts recounting the, uh, the story that's in Matthew chapter 17 uh, in verses 1 through 13 uh, that we call the Transfiguration. And the Transfiguration is a story in the Gospels where Jesus, he takes uh, Peter and James and John and they go up on this mountain and Jesus is transfigured before their very eyes. He's like enveloped in the glory of God. And Peter's like, we heard this ver voice from heaven that's like, this is my son uh, with whom I am well pleased. And so Peter's like, I saw this, guys. I saw this. I I'm not just telling you stories. This is something that I really experienced. And so one thing that we can glean from this that I think we have to remember as believers is that God has indwelt us with the Holy Spirit, right? When you put your faith in Jesus, God comes in and he takes up residence within you and he starts to change you. And that experience of the Holy Spirit is part of um, our apologetic. It's part of how we know that the gospel is true. There's that old song. It's like, uh, it's called He Lives. You know, it's an old hymn. I don't know if you guys know the old hymns. I was raised in a little independent fundamentalist churches and we sang the hymns. Um, but it's like, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. You know, and he goes on. And then it has this part that says, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And it's kind of a cheesy, cheesy line, but it's also true. Uh, our experience of the Holy Spirit uh, is part of how we know that the gospel is true. I want to read to you from, uh, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, he's, uh, he's talking to the Thessalonians about his experience sharing the gospel with them. And he says in verse verses 4 to 5, he's like, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he's chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, right? not only in word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So in 1 Thessalonians, Paul, he, he reminds the Thessalonians, he's like, remember when I was with you and I was sharing the gospel, this gospel came to you not only with the words of the gospel, but also with the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. He's like, you remember what kind of a person I was and you saw God working through my life. I don't think we need to be embarrassed about that. Like the experiences that we have of God are real and they're part of why we believe what we believe. Um, these can be things like answered prayers. Like there's sometimes where you're just like, I prayed for something and God answered this prayer and I know it was God. And it's part of why I believe. When back in 2007, uh, my wife was, was pregnant with our, our first child, our oldest child, Zach. 
And when Zach was born, he, he had a really difficult labor. And when he was like coming out, his umbilical cord got wrapped around his neck and he wasn't able to, to breathe when he's still in, in, in his mom. Uh, and they went a longer time than they were comfortable without knowing for sure that he was doing well. And finally he was born and when he came out, he was, he was blue. He was limp. Uh, he was lifeless. I mean, he just, he looked like, he looked like he was dead, honestly. Um, they, they rate babies on a scale of one to 10 about how healthy they are when they're born. And his, he was level one. He had a heartbeat, but that was it. And they immediately took resuscitative measures on him. And I remember in that moment, uh, none of the other things that I cared about in life mattered anymore. All, all I cared about was my son, a little baby, first time I ever saw him. Uh, and watching the doctors and nurses working on it. And I prayed to God, like, God, just let him live. Like, nothing else matters to me, right? Just let him live. And he did. And God heard that prayer. And that was a, that was a significant event to me. And it's always in moments where I'm doubting or um, I'm discouraged. Like, I, there's certain times in my life where I just know that God answered a prayer, or I know that God was present in my life at that moment. Uh, I know it was the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that's what Peter's getting at here, too. He's like, guys, I'm not just telling you myths. I'm not just making up stories to you. Like, I saw this. I saw Jesus transfigured before my very eyes. And, and we, same thing, we have experienced the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that's a real thing. That's a real thing. Uh, but the... Experience of the Spirit is not the only reason we have to believe what we believe. Uh, Peter is going to give us a second reason in verse 19. Peter writes, uh, and, so we're not just talking about testimonies here. we got other things. And we have the prophetic word, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Peter, he's, he's combating these, these guys again who are, are, are telling the church yeah, don't believe what that dude Peter's saying. Like, this is just myths. He's just trying to, trying to scare you guys. Um, none of that's really true. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking myths. I saw this with my very eyes. And then he says, and not only that, but the Bible said it was going to happen. And he's like, we've got this whole Old Testament that predicted the coming of Jesus. It predicted his death and resurrection. All of these things, hundreds of years before they happened, God said they were going to happen. And when we read those prophecies in the Old Testament, it's not just guys just making stuff up. Like God is speaking through them and predicting what was going to happen through Jesus. And so what I think Peter's getting at here is not only do we believers have our experience of the uh, Holy Spirit that, that kind of confirms what we believe. 
but also history is on our side. Uh, when you look at the Bible surely as a historical document, it is on really solid ground. Uh, historically accurate, the book of Acts uh, is, has a reputation of one of the most uh, legit ancient historical documents. And our faith does not rest on speculation or philosophy or, hey, what if there was this God out here and, you know, I, I know we can't see him and we can't really hear him, we can't really smell him or touch him or any of that stuff, but let's just, let's just pretend that he's out there. Um, that is not the kind of God we have. We have the God who entered into real history with the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so I opened up this message by asking you, like, how how would you prove an event from history that really happened? Okay, I mentioned the moon landing. Okay, let's say you and your buddies you're arguing about whether the man really landed on the moon. Um, what kinds of things would you use to prove that that actually happened? Well, maybe you would uh, argue from artifacts, right? You would say. Uh, we have the video footage, like I've seen it, I've seen it on video, or maybe you could say like, we've got rocks, they brought rocks back from the moon, like there is physical evidence that this really happened. Well, we have that for the resurrection, right? We have a very, very important piece of physical evidence, and that is Jesus' body is missing, right? If they wanted to disprove Christianity, it would have been so easy to do. All they would have done, would have had to do, was to produce Jesus' body. But they couldn't, because it's not here, right? He's gone. He got up. He rose from the dead. Uh, so artifacts would have been, uh, artifacts are one, things that you, one thing that you can use to talk about um, the reliability of a historical event. And we have that for Christianity. We have the empty tomb. So what else could you could you debate with your friend? You're, you're talking about the moon landing. Um, well, another thing that you could use is testimony of people who saw it. And you could be like, look, my, my mom, my dad, they were a little kid when it happened and they literally watched it on TV, okay? They told me the story, they watched it live. Um, you could say, look, the astronauts who did it, they are still with us. And they're telling you like, yeah, I walked on the moon. Um, it, it's, it's not just the artifacts. There is a ton of people who have verbal testimony that they, they experienced that. And we have the same thing with Christianity. A very, very important passage in the Bible is in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul is talking about like the nature of the gospel. And this is what he writes to uh, the Corinthians. He's like, now I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And this is what he says. He's right. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And listen to this. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and then last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. 
So um, we have the empty tomb. It's an artifact of uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And then we also have all of the resurrection appearances that Jesus appeared to thousands of people and they saw him. Some of them like had meals with him and stuff. Uh, and so as, as far as like the criteria for establishing something as a historical event, we have all those things. We have artifacts. We have uh, uh, testimonies. Uh, we have reasons to believe that uh, the gospel is true and that Jesus is who he says he is. Okay, so for review, uh, Peter is writing to this church that has, uh, there's been some false teachers have crept into it. Uh, they're telling them not to trust the things that they've heard from Peter. And Peter's like, look, I'm, I'm going to die soon. Jesus has revealed this to me. And so before I go, I got to set the record straight on some things. Uh, the things that I told you about Jesus, they were not just stories. They weren't just myths. I'm, I'm not grabbing stuff out of a thin air uh, and throwing it to you. Like, I saw this with my own eyes. And not only that, but we have this whole record of the Old Testament that is about Jesus. And it predicted his coming. It predicted his, uh, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Uh, and the reason that it was able to do that is because they were written by God himself. So you can have confidence in the things that you believe. Now, I, uh, I, I told the story at the beginning about my friend Fidel. Okay, he and I, we used to go back and forth and he was like, oh, you gotta prove it, you gotta prove it, prove it. And honestly, I never was able to. Uh, and I tried not to let him bother me. Uh, I tried to just be a good friend to him and you know, maintain that relationship. Then one day, a funny thing happened to Fidel. He just randomly one day felt God speaking to him and telling him to go to church. And this wasn't even like on a Sunday. This was like on a random Wednesday in the middle of the day. And he was in the, the city of Dallas and there was a church right there. And so he just walked in the closest church and he was like, hey, uh, I feel like I need God. And that person was there, was able to share Christ with him and Fidel became Christian. And he's still walking with Christ today. And it was really neat to see our relationship change over that. Um, now, the cool thing about that story, honestly, there was nothing that I could do to prove to my friend uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's something that only God that God can do. God, op God has to open people's eyes. He has to speak to their hearts before they can believe. And the only thing that we can do, we can be faithful in showing up and loving people. Uh, and we can be faithful in sharing the gospel with them that Jesus Christ died for sins, rose again. Um, uh, and just be good, good friends to them. Good for, and, and keep investing in them, keep being faithful, keep showing up, and pray for them. Uh, because it really takes an act of God uh, to open someone's heart. Now, what does all this mean? What is, um, you know, what's the, what's the big takeaway from this? Uh, God is in control, right? We, right now, our lives have been like radically changed because of this coronavirus. Right now, we're doing this over video. It's super weird. It's not the way I would have wanted to do it, but it is what it is. Uh, but even though situation is what it is, God is still in control and he is faithful. 
Peter reminded us today that God, he had this plan of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection going thousands of years before Jesus came. And it played out exactly as he said it would. And in the same way, God has further promises about what's going to happen in the future. And we know that God's in control. And we know that death does not get the final answer. That there is resurrection from the dead. And we know this because Jesus is alive. Thanks for letting me share today. Um, I got some a couple small group questions, and I uh, hope you guys have a good night uh, discussing these things from Second Peter chapter one. Good night. <laughs>